Good morning. Welcome. Isn't it exciting that we can come into the house, come into the presence of the Lord, and in, in God, we, we recognize some truths. God can do anything. God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever imagine. That's what the scripture says in Ephesians. The best thought that you can come up with, the best dream, the best scheme, whatever, God can outdo you. A picture whatever you would think would be the most incredible idea. Maybe for you right now, it might be just being somewhere nice and warm. Uh, my parents are, uh, we got so blessed this year. As Aaron was saying, hey, we want to come up to, uh, come up and give a Thanksgiving. I was like, we are so blessed this year because our, we got a great surprise. Uh, our Nikki's mom and dad were able to come up to Winnipeg to spend Christmas with us. We weren't expecting it. Suddenly her niece said, no, mom and dad, you can't stay home for Christmas. You got to come home or come up to the Yukon or up to Winnipeg. So, because originally from Yukon. Now, I don't know if it's such a blessing for them because they're sitting there going now this morning going, why did we come to Winnipeg? They're, they, they, are, uh, they live in Arizona uh, six months of the year. And, and uh, you know, and, and they're suffering for Jesus down in the, in the States, but that's okay. Oh, well. God loves them. Anyway, God can do anything. And what I love about this is I, I, when I think about what God can do and I hear testimonies, I was listening to uh, a, a story, a, a guy named Randy Clark was sharing a testimony about a healing that uh, had happened uh, of a man's daughter. And it was neat because he, this man, a father, was at a prayer meeting. And what happened was they're praying and just saying, God, we want to believe that you can do anything. And so they, this man came up and said, well, could we pray for my daughter? Can I stand in proxy? His daughter wasn't even there at the church service. Uh, he just could, I just, I just feel like I want to pray for her. Now, his daughter was struggling with mental illness. Uh, in, va- in fact, it had been happening for years. She would been, and at this part was just hit a, bo- a rock bottom. Couldn't get out of bed. Couldn't even, basically was struggling even to live. And this father decides to come to church or to this meeting and just say, well, well let's pray and let's believe that God can do anything. And while they were praying, at the same moment, he comes home, and all of a sudden she's out of her bed, moving around, and he said, what happened? And they actually figured out the exact same time while he was being, or praying for her, she was instantly, uh, radically changed. A miracle had happened. It, God suddenly doing something, he, he transcends distance. He transcends even location. The, the, the girl wasn't even at church and suddenly she is being blessed because of a prayer that's happening at a building that she has no... She wasn't even thinking about God. In fact, she was at the lowest of lows, but suddenly. God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever imagine or dream. And I love that because... I have to remember that nothing is impossible. That at the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus is above all other names. He is above the name of sickness. He's above the name of disease. He's above the name of depression. Whatever you want to put in, whatever label you want to give, suddenly the name of Christ supersedes all. In fact, Scripture says that at the name of, at the, at the name of Jesus, everything must bow. Is that not the word of God? 
Well, we are meant to be a people who live on the promises of God. You see, in John, there's a revelation that John received, the Apostle John. John had seen Jesus, uh, he'd seen his death, but he also seen his resurrection, and he's waiting for the Lord. And while he's waiting, he's actually in prison because thing, the church was, was chugging along. But what happened is he has an encounter with, the God, with God. And he hears a voice. And in fact, first before, he sees, he, he sees a, a, behold, a door standing open. And then a voice giving an invitation, come up here at once. And at once, he was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. John, sitting in prison, suddenly has a revelation that suddenly brings him into the very uh, reality of what's going on, that he is an open door, he's living in a place where he can enter the throne room of God, and what does he see? He sees a throne. That in the midst of chaos and everything, there is somebody sitting on a throne. Somebody that's there, all-powerful, almighty, and he's allowed to come into his presence. That's an amazing revelation. That is to me, God saying, if you were to understand a reality of today... You have an open heaven because we were talking about how Christmas came, Christ came to this earth so that we would uh, be able to come and meet God, Emmanuel, God with us. Well, now John is going, oh, there's like an open door right now and I can just kind of go, whoa, and I'm right there. Well, when I think about that, this is such a heavenly perspective but I actually admit how, how amazed and how quick I am to forget this on the day-to-day living of life. I mean, was I thinking about as I'm trying to get out to my car? Oh, open heaven. Oh, yeah, open heaven. Jesus. Oh, no, no. I was, I was pretty much just trying to survive. And in fact, as I started to re- recollect and think through about even as Aaron was saying, another year done. Wow, we've gone through another year. I started to think, you know, when we, when we start, start packing up these years, as Aaron shared a couple, year, a couple weeks ago, because of our culture, did you know that we actually are finding that there's a scientific thing that's happening to our brains right now? Because of what's happening with media and multimedia and all this stuff, our brain is actually becoming so much full of stimulus that we are actually becoming so stimulated that our brain is having adjustments to actually become more, it's like we're inoculated to stimulus. It's becoming bombarded with so many things that we are becoming the, as Aaron put it, meh generation. Do you know what meh means? Meh. It's like, unless something is about to explode, meh. And in fact, if it does explode, you might then sort of react. Well, why is it that we don't react as quick or as fast or as uh, have the same sort of impact as we did previously and where they find in other generations? Well, because we were bombarded by so many things, stimulus after stimulus, that now we're not impacted as much. The thought that even God has an open door right now, meh. 
meh. The reality that we could actually just kind of, well, God having a throne right now in heaven, in control of everything, well, okay. I mean, we've, we've had a whole year, and, and we're going to have another year, right? Well, after 2,000 years, you kind of go, yeah, and well, we got maybe another 2,000 years left to go. But there's a reality that the Christian life brings. There's a perspective that gets changed when we actually have this encounter with God. Because you see, the Bible is not just about history. It's also about prophecy. And it's about the declaration of the future. If you knew what tomorrow brought, would it make a difference? If you knew there was an open heaven and you can actually see what's going on, would it change your thought process? I think so. And I think the invitation for me is going, well, Lord, if this is the reality you're living, well, help, help me to get in this. Because we just finished up an Advent series, and Advent means coming. We anticipate the, an- the coming of Christmas, and now we can anticipate a new year. But actually, this is what Scripture tells us to live like. We anticipate the coming of a kingdom that is actually bigger than a Christmas celebration and the start of a new year. It's the kingdom of God actually coming and being present in this world. And when the kingdom of God comes, it, acts, it absolutely changes, morphs situations like a father praying for a daughter who is dealing with stuff. Really? Yeah, that's the kingdom of God. So let's, let's read. What, what, what are we talking about this morning as we come into God's promises in the last days? I want to re, uh, read from the scripture in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. And I'm going to also just kind of jo- join this with 2 Peter chapter 3 because the Bible talks about the last days. And the Bible talks about how even in the Old Testament there was these references to how the end is going to be like. And then Jesus talked about the end and then his disciples talked about it. So then there has to be some reason why we should be talking about it. And we'll get into it. So let's go into Isaiah chapter 2 verse 2. Isaiah sharing, having a revelation of God, he says this, And the scriptures will be up there. If you have to follow along in your Bible, feel free. Here we go. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and the nations shall flow to it and many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths For out of Zion shall come forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. A scripture about the last days. Isaiah is prophesying of what will happen. Well, 2 Peter, chapter 3, Peter is also talking about the last days, and he says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will, uh, will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to live? Well, you ought to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will be melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Isaiah talks about it. Jesus even gives reference to it. But, and Peter's talking to it. Do you know the Bible talks about us living in the last days? There will be a last days. So do you, do you know or do you believe you're living in the last days? All of us are nodding, yeah, we believe. In fact, it, the last days started 2,000 years ago, so technically we're living in the last of the last days. The latter, latter days, I don't know. The last, last of the days. You know, the last part when you, it gets down to the end of the evening and we're about to have like the last bit of food and it's like, we're, you know, you're going, okay, if we don't get this now, we might miss out. Have you ever had that happen? You've never been to our fondue then. Okay, when it gets down, Christmas Eve fondue for us with the Zazalaks, as we're just now, it's getting down to the end of the end, what'll happen is that little steak that we're going to now deep fry, it becomes full on, okay, you know, this is the last of the last, right? Like, this is getting to, close to the end. There's a little bit of desperation in the Zazalak boys when this happens because we know that uh, as carnivores we must have our meat. So here we go. The Bible says we're living in the last days. But what I found interesting is as I'm living in the last days, did you know that I have survived at least four different end time events? Did you know that? Well, let me explain. I, I mean, I'm only 44 years old, but I have survived four times that the world that, that we believed was going to come to an end. The first I remember actually was this, and it, it was in uh, 1982. I was, I was about nine years old, so I kind of just got to it. What happened was in 1974, uh, John Gribben uh, and Stephen Plegman wrote a best-selling book called The Jupiter Effect. And what happened was, it told us that the warning that in March 1982, the alignment of the major planets, in particular Jupiter, would cause such an effect of these alignment that all of the earth would come out of kilter and we would become, like literally it's the apocalypse. Armageddon would happen, the end. Now, I was only nine years old, so at that point in time, I think I was enjoying Night Rider. I think uh, I was still listening to Eye of the Tiger because uh, Rocky III had come out. And unfortunately, I missed the end of the world. I, I apologize. Anyway, but the next thing I believe that happened was this. is In the year uh, 1999, there was what was happening. Most of you would remember this. There was this thing where suddenly scientists realized or, or technicians realized we've been building and living our life on computers. But there was a reality. What will happen when year 2000 hits and our computers designed to make the switch? And they called it the Y2K bug. Now, up in the Yukon, this is what happened with us with the Y2K bug. We were freaking out because everything's on computers. What if the power goes out at minus 40 right now? Because, you know, the, 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 the energy is all, you know, power, electricity's on computers. We are going to die. 
So there was literally people picking up, like, you know, getting as many parkas, getting whatever sort of thing, generators. Y2K bug was going to happen. Well, you know what happened? I remember staring at midnight, looking on, on the, just as we're going to go to the year 2000, and my clock turned, and nothing happened. Oh, okay, well, let's keep going. Did you know that probably the most interesting was this in uh, actually 1999, there was the proclamation that scientists were now going to build a generator that was going to accelerate protons and electrons to such a speed that they're going to collide, making what could potentially be what was theorized the Big Bang Theory. So in Sweden, they were making this massive device. And so in in the 1990s, they were freaking out saying, wait a minute, did you know we're creating a black hole, a potential black hole in on the earth. Is mankind stupid? Well, in 2008, the Swedish scientists said, we've got this thing built. We're going to crash these electrons. We don't know what's going to happen, but here we go. And everyone's going, it's going to be the end of the world. Nope. Didn't happen. I missed it again. I missed the end of the world. Well, the last one was this. In 2012, December 21st, there was a Mayan calendar that was coming to an end. Do you remember these? Do any of you guys remember any of this? Okay, well, okay, well, good. I'm not alone. You were with me when suddenly we found out the calendar is going to come to an end. And again, doomsday, right? Well, as December 21st came and gone and 22 came in, Again, we're still ticking around. And, you know, after a while, you'd start to think about all these last time things. You go, meh. So we're living the last days. Meh. But Scripture says, when I read, it's a different perspective because it's not based on, we don't know the day or the hour. We don't know how the kingdom comes. We don't know all that is that scripture, he says, it will come like a thief in the night. It happens suddenly. It happens instantaneously, and you're not, when it's people, don't expect it. That's scriptural. I'll I'll explain what I felt like this. God gave me this revelation. This last weekend, we went for a wedding. Uh, How many of you have ever been to a Christmas wedding? or a Christmas, December wedding. Very unusual. The first one I've been, I mean, I've done many weddings, but a Christmas wedding, this is unique. And I have to admit, because it was after Christmas, near almost Christmas day, I'm in our Christmas festivities. It was like we woke up one day, oh, there's a wedding today. Thank God I'm not officiating it. Whew, okay. Whew. And you know, we go to this wedding, and I have to admit, everything just felt like I was not right. Like this just seems weird. This, this is not you, like normal. Normally a wedding's done in when? Summer, June, maybe. You can extend it out to October, but November and December. What are you thinking? Nobody does a wedding in December. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, does is anyone have a wedding happen in December? I just want to repent right now in front of you all. And even in this, it was a beautiful wedding. It was so delightful. It was just awesome. And this is when I suddenly I was ta- thinking about it because, you know, I was just, man, who does a wedding? That's weird. That's just, 
you know, I wasn't expecting a groom in the same time as Christmas. And then that's when the Spirit spoke to me in, in my inner being and saying, yeah, well, the church doesn't believe the groom's coming either. And I just thought, wait a minute, you're right, we're supposed to be wedding. There's a, there's a wedding day coming. And this is where I want my hearts to line with Scripture. Scripture shapes us. We don't shape Scripture. And here, God is giving us a promise of what to expect in the last days. God wants us to come back. He's wanting to come back to him because he's coming for a bride. And I feel like God is wanting us to have an expectation this new year. What is God? What does expectation of the kingdom do for us? If you believe God's presence is imminent, what does it do for you? It changes everything. And it helps us to live differently. The first is this. It, it brings a restoration of worship. It's actually in the verse 2 in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 2, which is really neat. A restoration of worship in us. And it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. Now, often when we talk about the end times, this, this is what I want to change our perspective. Because when we think of end times, often we get words like Armageddon, apocalypse, antichrist. All of the, oh, the world's going to come to an end. But this isn't what Isaiah is saying that what the last days is full of. And Peter mentions, yes, he mentions how the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. But actually, that's not the focus that Peter brought at the beginning. God is patient. His focus, his reality of this end times is the world is not our home. And we have a faith for eternal things. But the reason for the wait is, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, wishing that none should perish. Do you know why we're waiting right now? God's saying, I want people to come to know me. I want you to come to know me. In the last days, I want to set up the mountain of the Lord. I want the mountain of the Lord will be the pinnacle of all things. And I, the promise of the Lord is this out of that scripture. His heart, God's heart in the last days will to draw people to himself and particularly the church. And this is why I'm corresponding 2 Peter with Isaiah in that the prophetic eye basically saying the crisis of the present, all the stuff that's happening, all of these things that are going on in the world and stuff like that, there is another promise. The Lord's saying, I'm going to do something with my church and with my people. I'm going to bring them to the mountain of the Lord and establish it. Now, let me explain it. it, That sounds very like a very poetic language, right? And you will go to the mountain of the Lord and it will be established higher than other mountains. Very poetic, right? What do you mean, Norm? What is this scripture talking about? The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established. Well, it's this. There's only one mountain that's mentioned in the Bible that was actually good. And that was Mount Zion. 
in fact, God had warned the children of Israel, do not worship on high places. Do not go to these other mountains. Because what had happened was, they were now, as God's people, called to worship not like the, the, the pagans that are around them. All of the other pagans and all of the other nations did this. They went to the highest mountain because they, they thought, man, if I get here, I can get close to God. This is where I worship whatever. The sun, the moon, the stars, money, uh, f- fertility, whatever. Health, wealth. I go to this place and I offer it I, whatever that I think would make my life happy. This is where I'm going to go. And now God says, don't do that. I don't want you worshiping in any of the high places. There was only one place that was called the mountain of the Lord. In fact, it wasn't even the temple. The temple was built near. What happened is this. Moses had built the temple or the tabernacle. Remember that place where they could only, there was a court and they could only go into a little bit. And then, you know, they could go into, there was a court of the women and then they could get into the holy of holy, the, the holy place. And at the very back, which is that symbol back there, the holy of holies. That was the tabernacle of Moses. Well, what happened was David said, I want to worship God. And he built an unusual place, which was called Mount Zion, the tabernacle of David. And it's a prototype for what we see in the, New, in the New Testament. Because David did this. He did not make a bunch of layers. Remember, he brought the ark to Jerusalem because he wanted to worship God in the city. And as he brought them in, he brought them in and he said, well, all I'm going to do is this. I'm going to make one tent that anyone can have access to. It was called the Tabernacle of David. And he set up worship happening day and night, 24-7 worship. This was the prototype to heaven. David says you can walk in and suddenly right there, the Ark of the Covenant, the promises of God, you can enter in. An open veil. Because you know what happened? Solomon rebuilt the temple, but he built it like Moses, where you have laws and you have to walk in. you got to get in. And you know the very holy of holies? Solomon rebuilt the Mosaic temple, not the temple like David did, according to the law. But here's what was wild. When Jesus came along, guess what happened? Jesus came in and he said, I'm going to destroy the temple. And I'm going to rebuild it. In fact, when he died, what happened? There was a curtain that was torn straight in half that we could now enter in. Because Jesus saying, I am now making a way, an open way, an open door so that we can come into the very throne room of God, the very presence of God. What? Yes, you're living. Now, the thing is, that was Mount Zion. Mount Zion. I will establish I will establish my holy mountain above all other mountains. All other forms of worship, all other things that become bigger than, all other things, and even our religious systems, I am going to establish that. That is going to happen in the last days. I am waiting because I do not want anyone to perish. I want all to come into my presence, but particularly my people. In particular, you and me. 
God's people brought back to a place of worship, to a place above all other mountains of worship. If I was to say, God, a promise that he's giving to me in the latter days is that he will bring me to a place of worship that I can't comprehend. And he's not coming back until that happens. This is going to happen in the last days. The church really learning how to worship. The the church really entering into that open door. Are you ready for that this year? Kind of gets me excited. I'm anticipating a new level of worship. Well, amen. Because you see, all of these are signs. These wars and rumors and earthquakes are not, but those things are not promises. They're signs. A promise of God saying, I will establish the church to worship. I'll, I'll, I'll put my hand on that. I'll, I'll, I'll put my, my coat and hang it on that. God, will you fulfill that promise this year? God causes your church to grow in passionate worship. And I feel like God is wanting us to have an expectation this year. An expectation of the kingdom of God in us. What is it? And it changes how we live. It becomes a life of worship. God becoming a focal point. And we have a passion for him. We have a life of worship. D.L. Moody, and it is possible to do this because D.L. Moody, this is what said impacted him. He was a young guy in a church. Just, he just heard the you know, preachers, he's doing his thing. He grew up in the church. And then suddenly something struck him. A man was sharing a, a simple statement. He said, D.L., do you know what? The church is yet to see a man who has fully been set ablaze for God or set apart for God, or, or living God out completely obedient. There's a se- several different ways that I've heard it said. Moody heard this, and he decided he wanted to be a worshiper like that. I want to be a man totally yielded to God. Do you know what Moody did? He changed the world, because he wanted to be a worshiper. So I, I think like this, tonight... I, I was, you know, why, why do you guys do a prayer summit on New Year's Eve? Like, that's just crazy. Don't, don't you realize we have a Zazalak fondue? Like, this, this is a matter of life and death. If my kids do not get their Zazalak fondue, there, there is going to be no meat sweats. There is absolutely no party. I mean, how do you bring in a new year? Come on. Well, when I suddenly go, wait, am I, am I believing that God wants me to pray in that God would bring worship into the church. Now, here's, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. If you can't make it, don't feel guilty, but I am going to throw a curveball at you. You can still pray that God would impact us. At 7 o'clock, if you can't make it to a prayer summit, I'm going to up the ante. You have no excuse to stop and say, Lord, this year, praying corporately does not necessarily mean that we, if you can't make it to a building, you can't be there. That's not true. If you said, listen, I believe in prayer, and I believe that if we prayed that God would encourage us to worship, it would change our atmosphere, you could at 7 o'clock tonight just pray, and you would be right with us. Just a little challenge. It's not that. It's okay. It's okay. Okay, Keep on the notes. Here we go. Okay. So, last point. Oh, man, this is awesome. You didn't know I'd get to two points and be almost done. Praise God. You're thinking it's a miracle. New year. Thank you, Jesus. Here we go. Many 
coming to the Lord. In anticipating the coming of the kingdom, what does it mean out of these scriptures? That God would establish worship. He would, he would bring in a, a restoration of worship. But this is the other one, many coming to the Lord. And it shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. This is back in Isaiah chapter 2. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. You see, we need to remember that God has a promise in the last days for many to come to the Lord. And all the nations coming to this place of worship. I'll tell you why it's important for us to remember. You know, it takes absolutely no faith to believe that the world is going to get worse. It absolutely takes no faith for me to say it's going to get darker, people. And in fact, Scripture says that's going to happen, obviously, right? It's, it says it'll get, the love of many will go cold. And, you know, and, and brother will turn against brother. That the, that the rise of people wanting to do their own stuff, that's going to happen in, in the last days. It takes great faith, however, to believe God can move and cause worship in one person to affect a family, to affect a church, to affect a community, to affect a city, to affect a nation or a, a, a province that could change an entire nation. It takes great to believe that, faith to believe that God wants to establish a new level of worship that's not just about us, but it actually causes others to worship as well. In the Isaiah passage, it says, the mountain the Lord will be lifted up and the nations shall flow to it. The nations. I love it. Why are we doing this whole EAL thing? What is the the reason or thought? And I I think like this, because inside our heart is, do we believe the promise of the Lord that the Lord is going to bring the nations to him? I believe it. It's a promise. It's a promise of the end times. If you believe you're living in the end times, then why would you not be able to say, well, wait a minute, this will be a result of you just saying what you're going to do. A promise. How many of you can live on promises? How many of you can live on hopes? How many of you like promises more than hopes? I'm going to go with this. See, it's really easy to build an EAL class if you know it's a promise because God's saying, I want to do this in the last days. Carolyn, you're just hearing God saying, this is what's going to happen. It should be, I, I love it because your thought was, whoa, whoa we, if we advertise, this is going to explode. And are we ready for the explosion? Probably not. And I want you to hold that thought because that's right. We're not ready for the explosion. That's the scary part. In anticipating, are you ready for what God could do because of his promise? In, the, in this, I'll give you an example. Michael Brown, he was sharing with us at our leaders' conference down in Fargo, and I was so deeply impacted by this. This man of God is a prophet to the nation of America and to us in North America, I think it is. He wrote a book called uh, Saving a Sick America, The Fall and Rise of America. Notice it, not the rise and fall, but the fall and rise of America. God had told him to flip it when he wrote this book. And he, what the book is about is it's about a book on sort of American history. 
And he goes into times of American history that when it, of really the darkness that happened, and he kind of even highlights in the last 50, and he goes from World War II and just kind of brings it up to modern times of all the things that have happened. But did you know that every time there was a dark time, God did a move historically? So he goes and he says about the late 60s. How many of you know the 60s? Anyone that was here in the 60s? Take one, two, three. David Perry, put your hand up. Oh, my word. If you remember them, you were there. <laughs> if you, you may not have been there, yeah. But in the 60s, this is what happens. As he started to share how there was a cultural shift that absolutely rocked the world. Did you know in the 60s, birth control was introduced? In the mid-60s, free uh, speech movement, the rock movement, there was the assassination of Martin Luther King and John F. Kennedy. There was a sexual revolution, Woodstock, the start of gay activist movement. Basically, the whole culture, suddenly something happened right in the 60s that it was all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. In fact, this, this is one, what he says in this, he goes, if you fell asleep in the 60s and woke up in the year 2000, this is what you would have experienced. If you, if you fell asleep, especially you know, before 50s, here we go. This is what's happened. The divorce rate has doubled. Teen suicide is up three times. Violent crimes up four times. The amount of prisoners incarcerated five times. Children born out of wedlock six times. Half of the babies born out of wedlock are born out of wedlock today. That's since, in, in 40, 50 years, right? 60s to now. But this is what the church did when this happened in the 60s. This is the interesting part. The church thought this is the end of the world. The church thought, oh my word, this is, look at what's going. This is the final apostasy. This is the final rebellion. Everybody's just doing whatever. We, Jesus is coming now. That was the church's response in 1960 as it started to get really dark. But the world, but the world hasn't ended, has it? Why? Why not? I am slow because I want people to come into repentance. It's my kindness that's holding off. I'm holding off because I love people. And I'm wanting people to come to know me. And I am holding off for a promise. A promise that the nations, that my church... And do I believe that? What, what I should be looking for is a move of God that actually is supposed to be incredible. And I'm not supposed to be looking at all of these dark signs because what the church did is this. The church then said, ah, look at all this evil. Ah, and you know what they did? They said, Jesus is coming, and they just waited. Well, God said, okay, you're missing it. Church, you're missing it. And so what he did is he started to get some of these, these people that were getting lost because they're into drugs or that they became hippies. Did you know that the cover in 19 of Time Life magazine in June on the cover in June of 1961, said this, God is dead. Guess what it said in 1970? Showed this guy with long hair, looking quite like Jesus, and it said, the Jesus revolution. 
the Jesus movement hip happened because suddenly this desire for spirituality came and, and hippies were getting saved. There were people getting saved because God said, I'm going to do it even if the church says, ah! And you know what? They didn't know what to do with it because these hippies started coming to church and guess what? They were coming in droves and in fact, some of the church said, yeah, we don't want you here. And Michael Brown, who was saved in the hippie movement, said this, that a quarter of the people that got saved during that generation are gone now because the church didn't know what to do when people got saved. They weren't anticipating that people would actually come to know the Lord. And I believe this, that there is such a spiritual hunger. Imagine, we just, we just legalized marijuana. Could we have another hippie movement, like another Jesus? Like people suddenly going, this stuff isn't working, and we need something that's actually going to satisfy. That's a possibility, isn't it? Could happen in Canada. Did you know that the, Michael Brown says Bible studies went on for years, and they didn't even realize that they shouldn't be doing LSD while doing Bible studies? He'd be like, yeah, we, yeah, the pastor was talking about this beast, had all these heads. Whoa, so trippy, man. Like, totally different meaning. Well, you know, a couple years, they realize, years later, they realized they're not supposed to be doing that. That's what God was doing in the midst, in the 70s. Because he said, I have a promise. I have a promise to bring people home. And it's not dependent even on the church. When we are going, eh, eh. God, I love this because God wants to make it so that we are so in love and worship in him that God's situations happen. I just, in fact, I've, I hear this all the time where suddenly uh, this person who's just a Christian doing their own thing and suddenly a person come up to him for no reason and says, what's different with you? There's something different than you that starts in a conversation about the Lord. Do you know what I've even been shocked? Do you know how many people of different faiths that have been to our church? in the last year. If you came to our little Christmas thing, we had Muslims, we've had, we've had Sikhs, we've had to this church. And I imagine when we do AL, do you think there are going to be more nations coming? Absolutely. You see, God is wanting us to have an expectation this new year, an expectation of the kingdom coming, and it changes our perspective Yes, in the last days, the love of many will grow cold and people will turn to things other than God and our moral compass will be skewed. But I don't blame the dark for becoming more dark. I can only believe that the light will have to shine brighter. And I, I love this because at the mo- uh, my parents, we said, let's, we like to do stuff together. So we, did, we decided to watch a movie. I'm going to share this of a story of a guy named Desmond. Uh, uh, his name is uh, Desmond Doss. They made a movie of him because he was in World War II. Uh, Desmond Doss uh, walked into the bloodiest battle of World War II in the Pacific uh, with nothing to protect himself save for his Bible and his faith in God. He uh, was a devout Seventh-day Adventist, and he was a conscientious objector, which meant he did not want to kill. He felt, why in this world do we have to add killing? And in fact, at his court-martial, when they said, "You're, you're doing this, he said, can I go to believe that I can bring hope in a place where there's hope, no hope or possibly save a life rather than take it and still serve? And 
Though Doss had enlisted as a medic and refused to carry a rifle, the fighting took, took him right to what's called, what was called Hacksaw Ridge, right by uh, Okinawa. And it was a treacherous sleep cliff. And facing heavy machine gun and artillery fire, Doss repeatedly ran into the kill zone, carrying wounded soldiers to the edge of the cliff. And he single-handedly lowered them down to safety because nobody would go there. And each time he saved a man's life, just, he just prayed out loud. He said, God, just give me one more. Just give me one more. And by the end of the night, he had rescued over est- estimated 75 men. An absolute hero in the midst of darkness. I'm going to show you this clip. What the hell is your delay, Captain? We're waiting, sir. Waiting for what? Private Doss. Who the hell is Private Doss? I always dreamed about being a doctor, but I uh, didn't get much school. I can't stay here while all them go fight for me. Would you figure this war is just going to fit in with your ideas? While everybody else is taking life, I'm going to be saving it. And that's going to be my way to serve. This is a personal gift from the United States government designed to bring death to the enemy. Well, I'm sorry, Sergeant. I can't touch a gun. You don't kill. No, sir. You know, quite a bit of killing does occur in war. Private Doss does not believe in violence. Do not look to him to save you on the battlefield. I don't think this is a question of religion. I think this is cowardice. I'll fall in love with you because you are like anyone else. Saying you could go to prison. But I don't know how I'm gonna live with myself if I don't stay true to what I believe. With the world so set on tearing itself apart, doesn't seem like such a bad thing to me to want to put a little bit of it back together. Private Doss, you are free to run into the hellfire of battle without a single weapon to protect yourself. Home. There's something you gotta see. Who did this? That's the coward. We have to go back up tomorrow. And they're not gonna go up there without you. Help me. Go ahead and trust me. You better come home to me. Please, Lord. Help me get one more. Help me get one more. Father, as we just thank you for your truth, your promises, that, Lord, you will establish in these last days worship. Mountain of the hill established higher than all other mountains. But, Lord, also that it would cause people to come to know you. Father, we want to thank you for we are living in the last days, but that is an incredible, incredible promise that you've given to us. And so, Lord, we want to thank you this morning as we thank you for the previous years, and we thank you, Father, what we're doing. I want to anticipate what you want to do this year. Lord, I want to pray that it would change. So, Lord, even tonight as we come to you as a pr- in a prayer summit, we just worship you, we 
we believe that you are faithful to your promises. We want to believe for an expectation of you coming for a bride without spot, blemish, and wrinkle. But God, many, a great multitude. Lord, we're not ready for it, to be honest. So Lord, can you help us? Help us to be ready for, what would it look like if a hundred people even came to this church saying, I, I just need Jesus. We're not ready. Can you help us to be ready? Help us to love you in such a way that we have you, that we're willing to uh, say one more, Lord. One more, just one more. In your name we pray, amen.